Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Tonight is a special, special, special night. God, God has done something in our church that we did not expect. If you were part of a city group that, that met in the, uh, I believe it was the Prospect Heights area, we, uh, well, it's kind of Bed-Stuy, Clinton Hill area, but um, we met at a place called Electropositive, and we, it was our largest group. And we had several groups that had uh, space issues. And so because of that, we found ourselves needing to multiply groups and find different leaders. So we went from having four city groups last semester, just last semester, to now we have eight city groups that we'll be offering this year. We'll be breaking those up on two different nights. Um, We are in a series um, called Movement, and so this will have a little bit of a feel of... Um, of, of like a meeting, but it will definitely be a sermon. But we want you to know that on Tuesday night city groups, uh, you're going to hear this again in the announcements. Uh, there will be folks from Clinton Hill, Flatbush, downtown Brooklyn, uh, Crown Heights, and Elmont, Long Island. So we'll have a city group in Long Island now. That'll be on Tuesday night. Our Wednesday group will be a group that meets by the Barclays, another Crown Heights group, and um, a Bed-Stuy group. So we are really excited about the opportunity that we have there. Again, you'll get more information about that. You don't need to do that right now, but I wanted to help you to know that that's the essence of this message in our time. Well, today is also a cool day. Um, we didn't have to do this. Uh, we were wondering what should, what should we do with the Super Bowl here and whatnot. And we just said, you know, Instead of, you know, trying to do something special for the Super Bowl at our second service, man, let's just bring every service together so people can meet one another. So I truly do pray that you meet some people that you haven't met before in the building tonight. But some of you, are anybody having a Super Bowl party this, uh, this afternoon? No? Wow. Two people are having Super Bowl parties. <laughs> Is anybody going to a Super Bowl party? <laughs> okay. All right. Non-host people, praise God. Um, well, if you, if you were like me uh, growing up, did any of your mothers like get real like anxiety when family or friends were coming over like guests? Like it was like, what's the point, right? Like I, I promise you that the way that my mother would get so anxious and afraid and like almost like freak out mode, I wondered why were we having people over if it caused this much anxiety? I promise you we could create a horror movie with the level of fear that was created in the home. You know what I'm saying? Like my mom would come around us, right? And I figured we could have this movie. This movie could be called Mama Said Clean Up. Praise God. You know what I mean? That, that's the name of the horror movie. Like, you know, you know how they have the guy that's like, New Line Cinema Presents. Mama said, clean up. And it's got like a kid there like washing dishes and and mom comes behind him and picks up the fork and he's like, mama. And she's like, you call this clean, right? It was like, mama, I was letting it soak, mama. So much fear and anxiety. My mom was very afraid of being looked at like she was crazy. So we cleaned up. We made sure things were together. You know, in the Bible, you'll miss something if you don't understand the imagery of guest and host. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. This is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, 
when you look at that, you understand that God was creating. Yes, he was creating heavens and the earth. But he was doing all of this in order to have people come into his space. In other words, God was a host and humanity were his guests. Even though they were made in his image, they would always operate as foreigners and strangers in God's economy and God's house. The psalmist in Psalm 39, 12 would say, hear my prayer, Lord, listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner and a stranger as all my ancestors were. So when you see God flinging lights in the air, the sun, the moon, the stars, the animal, the vegetation, that wasn't just so that he could make it look beautiful, but he was getting his house ready for guests. Now, if you understand that, 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 that imagery of getting ready for guests in your home, you then will understand why God made hospitality such a big deal in the Old Testament. When you look in the Old Testament, it was, it was major. Hospitality wasn't like it was like we see it today where maybe we'll have some people over. No, if you were a foreigner or a stranger going to another nation and you had no place to stay, that meant you had no food, you had no home, and it was not only custom, it was mandated as the people of God to invite the stranger in so they would not feel like a foreigner. It says in Leviticus 19, and 34, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. Then he reminds them, you were foreigners in Egypt. Do you remember when you were astray? When you were a foreigner, when it was odd for you when you walked in the room? Hospitality then there is receiving an alienated person into one's land or home or community and providing directly for that person's needs. Letting you into their space. It was funny because I truly thought when I said who's having a Super Bowl party, at least like three hands would raise it up. But you know, that's indicative of New York City. We don't have a lot of space, amen? Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's hard to do things. But hospitality, hear what I'm about to tell you. Hospitality is not about letting people into your home. It's about letting people into your life. Because Jesus was homeless, but he was the most hospitable person ever seen. In the New Testament, Jesus is inviting people into his space. He's inviting people into his life. In fact, in the New Testament, there's this new family of Jesus with new rules where he's inviting people in to be at his table. One author said, Robert Carras said, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. So much so that Jesus was given a tagline, a tagline that often Christians don't want to be associated with. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. Look at this, look at this. The son of man, Jesus says, came eating and drinking. Now, the, Jesus says it about himself. I am the son of man. I, I am coming to eat with people, drink with them. He says, but they say, meaning the Pharisees, the, the religious people of that day, look, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
Jesus liked to party. You couldn't keep Jesus from a party. Jesus stayed at a party. There was wine at the party. And the religious amongst us are shaking and quivering when I say that. Because Jesus not only was at a party, but he was at a party with people that you would never associate him with. But it was the the people that no one wanted, the tax collectors, the sinners, the, the tax collectors were people, they were seen as traitors of their nation. Don't eat with them, Jesus. Don't you know the rules who we eat with, who we speak with? You see, in that culture and in that time, eating together meant everything. It meant I accept you. It meant I'm on equal ground with you, that we are the same. And if we were to eat our food together, it means that I am inviting you into my life, that I'm inviting your culture into my space, that I want to get to know you. And and our culture is so weird that we eat all types of food, but we don't often connect with the people of the food. Think about this. You can like burritos but hate Mexicans. Right? Could you imagine eating griot, griot, banan, banan, peze, talk about it. Can you imagine eating that but not loving Haitians? You see the concept I'm saying, I know y'all felt that, y'all felt that. Eating together meant friendship. Eating together meant friendship. It means I'm letting you in. And even today, when you sit down and you have food with somebody, it begins to settle the playing field. It begins to ease tensions. And and one of the unique things about food and connecting is that even if someone has all the money in the world, and someone is at the table who has no money, if someone has all the knowledge in the world and there's someone who has no knowledge, hunger is what makes us the same. Thirst makes us the same. We are both eating there. And as you eat and I eat, there is this equality getting created. And so that's why God said, no, no, no. It's not good that we have this system of oppression and marginalization for those that are foreigner and strangers. Let them in your home, i.e., let them in your life. Love them like a native born. And Jesus expresses that as he comes onto the scene. Jesus would go on to say, as the Pharisees, see the Pharisees weren't with that. The Pharisees says, I want to see you have dominion and power and strength. I don't want a relationship with you. I want power from you. And so the Pharisees rejected Jesus' table. And what they wanted, what they wanted was his power. Jesus gives this illustration. He talks about one who was having a banquet. And as he sent invitations out on this banquet, there were some who rejected him. And he was speaking of the Pharisees. But he says, he had one of his people go. He says, no, no, no. Well, if they reject me, here's what I want. And he says in Luke 14, 21, go out quickly into the streets 
and alleys of the city and bring in the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. And he was looking around and there were people, there was still more room, there was more room. And so he says, no, 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 still within in verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 23 of Luke, he says, well, now go out into the highways and the hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. Keep sending invitations until my house is filled. And for those that would reject, find someone. There's someone who wants a meal with me. There's someone. There's someone who's not going to have a hard heart. There's someone who wants to sit with me and eat. Who would you invite over for dinner? You think about that. Naturally, this is not like a, a trick question. Who would you invite over there? You know who you'd invite? You'd invite over your friends. It's very rare it's for us to invite over people that we don't know. We'd invite over people we know. We, in essence, at our core, are tribal people. We constantly or subconsciously are bombarded in our mind with cues that identify us versus them. Safe versus unsafe. And so our minds, particularly in a city like this, are encoded with an understanding of who I will let in, i.e. who I will be hospitable to. We can't help it. It's the way we sh we're shaped. But who would Jesus invite over for dinner? Well, Jesus would invite over friends. Of course he would invite over friends. The people that know him and love him and care for him and praise him and worship him. Jesus wanted the religious to come. They just rejected him, but he still sent out an invitation. At the table of Jesus are friends and strangers, saints and sinners. Everyone's welcome at the table of Jesus. Our purpose statement is to reach people where they are and help them grow. And if we are going to have a posture like that, our city groups have to be a place for friend and stranger, saint and sinner. The easiest thing for us to do is to create not a reach culture, but a meet culture. It is very easy for our city groups to devolve into Bible study with food as opposed to Jesus at the table. Years ago, when I was in Raleigh, North Carolina, I was pastoring a church. And in that church, um, I was at the gym one time and a young lady there, um, I had gotten to know her and she heard I was a pastor and she was a physical therapist. And she said, hey, I would love to come to your church. She comes to her church, brings her daughter. Once she brings her daughter, she ended up bringing uh, one of the people that she was doing physical therapy with, a guy named Andy. He had just had a stroke. Her and Andy were there. They weren't married. She just was, he was one of her patients. One day I was preaching and I talked about waving the white flag Surrendering your life to Jesus. Andy emailed me. He said, Pastor James, I smoke cigarettes. 
I had a stroke because I smoked cigarettes. I can't use the left-hand side of my body because I smoke cigarettes. But I want you to know, I want to wave the white flag. Now, I emailed him back because I just wanted to clarify. When you say wave the white flag, what do you mean? He says, well, I'm just trying to tell you, I still smoke cigarettes, but I love Jesus. Like, do your people, are you, are, am, I, am I still accepted if I smell like cigarettes? Is this atmosphere, is it okay if I come in and I smell like cigarettes? I want to wave the white flag, but I still have some hangups. Is that okay? Well, because of Andy's personality, he was a hit in our church. But the woman that brought him, her name was Wendy. And when she brought him, she ended up, she actually, she allowed us to have, um, we call them small groups. We had them in her home. She had a huge house. And she was a physical therapist. And I remember that um, while we were there, one night, we were having small group in our home. I'll never forget this. I had been talking. I had been doing a message like this, like, you know, stranger and saint and sinner. And everybody was like, yeah, yeah. So we had a, we had a small group at our house. And so she took, because she had, so uh, I, I ended up baptizing Andy and I ended up baptizing her. And so she, she took me seriously. So she was like, yeah, I'm going to keep it funky. I'm going to keep it real. So she's, she's mar- she was married for about seven, eight years. They had two kids. And she was like, yeah, I just love my husband, but I'm really attracted to this guy at work. And, you know, he, sometimes he wants me to work on him and it's tough and I'm struggling and y'all pray for me. Now I'm going to tell you this. When she said that, I was looking at her like, amen, but, but, <laughs> man, the religious people of the day, I mean, they were like, mm. so tell me more about this <laughs> therapist, you know, and, and you know, you know, they never said it, but she learned that night that that was not okay. She learned. She learned that, that it doesn't matter the rules you create. There's new rules when you walk in the room. Every city group sets rules. Doesn't matter the rules we tell you. It's the rules you create. It's the culture you create. See, that's why I was saying last week, it is not about memorizing vision, vision statements and mission statements and values and behaviors and talking the talk. It is about culture. Do you carry the culture? Do you know Jesus is at the table? Our city groups will have a different flavor, not, not too much of difference, but one of the things that we are acknowledging is that oftentimes people, we, because we try to reach people in our church and in the city, they will come here and they'll get connected and but sometimes they're not ready for Christian culture yet. And sometimes people will actually not perform, but they'll be honest. And the question is, will your group be a safe place for honesty? Can they actually be where they actually are? Or do they have to conform to the rules of the group can they smell like smoke? Can they smell like smoke? 
Can they smell like smoke? See, that is, that is what we're wanting to do. So in every group, three things happen. Dinner, discussion, and prayer. Dinner, discussion, and prayer. And here's what is very easy to fall into. Dinner, discussion, and prayer turn into Bible study and goodbye, right? Where we just talk about good old Jesus from back in the day and the miracles he did back in the day, and we never learned about the miracles happening in your life, the transformation happening in your life. Every time, this is what I am trusting, when the word of God is being preached, we are trusting that the Bible is not stagnant, but the scripture says that it is a sword. And what it is doing is it is getting in between your agenda and your motive. It is getting at your root motivation. So we are trusting that when the word of God is coming from the book, from the mouth, into the heart, that it's connecting to your story. So if we only talk about the Bible and we never talk about the story, we will never see what God is doing in our church. We want to be able to create an atmosphere where we can talk. Church, this is why dinner, when we are doing dinner in our groups, it's important. It is not important just so that you can eat because you came back from work. It is important so that you can have this equality and this connection and you can have this sense that we are the same. And before we start talking about the Bible and before we start talking about the scriptures, let's talk about one another. Let's get into each other's worlds. Let's ease the tensions in the room. It's also helpful if you do dinner very well, praise God. <laughs> Serious, doesn't it change when food is good versus okay? Right? It changes. And so... One of the things, we're having a training on Tuesday. We are going to be training our groups to have everything set up. We're going to make sure that each group has a Spotify playlist so that there's music playing. We're going to make sure that the food is done really good because we don't want this to be a room with food. We want it to be a party. We want it to have that kind of atmosphere. Why does the church always do events so poorly? You know, we were, my, my wife and I, no, this was, I believe this was the Holy Spirit. I really do. My wife was invited to a dinner party last night. Now, I want y'all to know, if you know anything about me, Saturday night, I don't want to do anything except my horizontal ministry, which is laying out with, with this. That's all I want to do, right? I don't want to do anything else. So it was 9 o'clock. Now, 9 o'clock, that's night, night, all right? I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do anything, right? My wife looks at me and she says, hey, do you want to go? And she gave me that look like, you don't have to say yes. <laughs> but I said yes. I said, oh, I'd love to. And so I go, you know, and, you know, and I'm a little gregarious, you know what I'm saying? So I walked in and I met some people and, you know, they got licks everywhere, drinks everywhere. They're like, hi, James, how you doing? I'm like, whoa. And they got, you know, just I, I, they were creative. They're very creative people, man. It was crazy. And, then, you know, and, and everybody's going on, on and they've got drinks and food and stuff. And I was just like, oh, my God. I believe the Holy Spirit brought me there because I was like, 
they are not walking in fearful. They're just having a good time. And, you know, I wish we wouldn't be afraid of being called gluttons and drunkards. That we would be willing to have this sense and this aura that we could be in the room with all types of people. And yes, yes, we are not gathered in the name of dinner. We're gathered in the name of Jesus. Don't get it twisted. There is a point in the night. Somebody was like, yeah, that's right. Turn up. You know what I'm saying? I like these grooves. You know what I'm saying? Been looking for a church like this. Right. No, no. There is a point in the night because when Jesus was in the room, Jesus was in the room. He was Jesus. So he was good at talking about himself. But so at some point in the night, we have to move to a discussion. But the discussion, what we're going to do now is we'll be creating uh, for our leaders just a, a small paragraph to be able to go over one point in the message. For instance, in this message, if we were doing a city group, we would probably go back to that, that verse talking about Jesus being called a drunkard and a glutton. And we would have an elaborate conversation. And we're only going to have about two questions that we have because we don't want the night to flow into who knows the most. Because I don't know if you know this, but the people that, don't, that know the most aren't always the ones growing the most, right? We at this church do not have a scholastic-based model of discipleship. We have an obedience-based model of discipleship. We do not believe growth is indicative of knowledge. We believe love is indicative of growth, right? So if you are growing, you are loving people more. You're pay- In fact, you might be growing by holding what you have to say than saying what you think you should say, right? Because part of the fruit is patience. It's patience. It's, it's dealing with people. And, and it's us wrangling together. I know people who love the Bible but, don't, but hate people, right? And, and the scriptures tell us that you cannot know God. And yes, so we want to create this table, where we are bringing friend and stranger there. So that's what we want to do, dinner, discussion, and prayer. And that is a successful group. If you're doing dinner really well, I mean good food, and it's a good night, and you look forward to going, and they're going to raise money for the food in your groups, give to it so you're going to have a good meal. You know, and, and eat the meal. And if, and if somebody haven't eaten, just take half of what you're supposed to have. Good Lord. <laughs> Okay. And in discussion, discussion is best when what? When everybody gets a chance, amen? When it's moving and flowing. When you encourage the people that don't say much to allow them to just have the courage to say something. And then when you pray, one of the things that we want to encourage you to do this year is we, we have not created a leader for prayer because we believe prayer is something we can all be doing And so we want everybody to just be praying for one another, connecting with one another, and loving on one another. Last week, one of the things that we said was that every Sunday this year, there will be people who walk in all over the map spiritually. Some having relocated from another church, some coming from church hurt, some coming with life issues, and others that are spiritually curious. Every week, 
As we've done in the past, we will allow you to text into what group you want to go to. We will have different roles, therefore, to make sure that the groups are working well. We have a host. Their job is pretty clear to host the home. But we want to make sure, and I know that this may go without saying, but we want to make sure that you prepare your home for guests. That it, that it smells good. Not, we've never had a group that was funky. I'm just saying that. Sometimes you just have to say certain things, okay? We want music on. We want an atmosphere. We'll have a discussion leader. That discussion leader, as I said, what we'll be giving them, and a dinner leader and a follow-up leader, somebody that will help assimilate people into the group. But we have to remember that what we're doing is not some unique thing, but we are trying to live out the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, when Jesus told them that that power would come upon them when the Holy Spirit came down, and that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Peter then would preach a message, and 3,000 souls would get saved. But sometimes we forget what those people were coming from. Acts chapter 2, verse 5 says that there were Jews staying in Jerusalem. They were devout people, and it says they were from every nation from under heaven. In Acts chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, and this is the different places they were from and it's places I'm going to mispronounce, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamia or Mesopotamians, Judeans and Capos, Pontus and Asians and Figueria and Pamphamia and Egypt and Libya and Cyrenes and Romans and Cretans and everybody from every place. And right after, from all nations, all nations, all nations, they came from all nations. And then after they hear the word of God preached, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The word devoted there has to do with this uh, constant and continual uh, uh, focus and attention, right? but they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They were devoted then not just to what the Bible said, but to the people. And they were devoted to people that they would never get connected to outside the church. Friend and stranger were together. So it says not only that, but breaking of bread and prayers. Church, this is church. This is, this is what was happening. People were coming to Christ and they were connecting to people and they were loving people and Arabs and Cretans and Romans and people that had different languages were coming together in one room and the only thing they had in common was Jesus. I mean, it was because of that that the Spirit of God kept moving because people kept looking into their community saying, how did y'all two come together? This is so odd. In the world, y'all would never sit at the same table. Who's at the table that has you coming together? They had a curious connection, and it was Jesus. Jesus is who was bringing them together. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. God was working miracles in their community. 
God was bringing people together that were so different. And I don't want you to miss this. In verse 43, all. Harvard has done a study on all. <laughs> it's crazy. Psychology Today just came out with a study on all. Later on today, do your Googles. Just look up. Put study of all. People are studying all. And they're seeing that there are intrinsic benefits, health benefits to all. Because what they're saying is all occurs in response to diverse stimuli. Uh, when, when we see beauty, ability, virtue, and the supernatural phenomenon, when we're watching a cascade over the majestic waterfall, we see awe. When we see beauty that goes beyond our comprehension, we see awe. You see, it's transcending understanding. That means it's expanding your mental structures and your belief systems. That's awe. And the reality is, is that you will never have all when you remain in your tribe. That, that, and so, so he, this is what I want to do. I want to break this culture. Don't shop for a city group. Commit to a city group. You see, because what we do is we go in with our menu. What type of people are in here? Okay. I like you. I like you. I don't like you. Thank you. Find another one. Text in another guy. You know what I'm saying? Now, I get it. I get it. I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. I'm not saying don't select, I'm just saying don't shop. Don't, don't treat people like groceries, okay? Where you, you see, you select, you purchase. Rather, you're committing to humans, not purchasing objects. And, and so this all, this happens because our minds are expanded. Haven't you had your mind expanded. Hey, has there been a moment where you just sat with somebody and you got to know them more, maybe at a job, and you heard their story, and all of a sudden they started talking, and you started talking, and you're like, whoa, that's amazing. I, I just, I would have never thought that about you. I would have never seen that in you. And when when groups are allowing themselves to get beyond the cultural barriers, get beyond the social barriers, and the Spirit of God begins to move, and we begin to pray for one another, miracles start happening, and we start seeing lives change, and God is actually answering prayers, and lives are being changed. We begin to see awe, and when we begin to see awe in all our groups, we have a church that's awesome, and we begin to see amazing things happen, and people start looking and saying, wow. That's an awesome church. It is not because of the teaching. It is not because of the worship. It's because Jesus is at the table. He's still at the table, y'all. He's still wanting a meal with us and to commune with us. And then the scriptures, it says of chapter 2, verse 45, do you know what they did? They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all who had need. The minute they heard someone had a need, they didn't say, I'll pray for that. They'll say, what can I sell so that you can be okay? 
What can I sell so that you'll be okay? So in order for them to get to the selling of possessions, people had to have the comfort level to say their needs. That's a culture. I want, to, I want you all to see me. That's a culture you create. You can give or take away from a culture where people feel like they can talk about who they really are. I'm saying every one of us adds or takes away from that culture. Every one of us. I'm saying that you, you've been in this situation where you've been in a room of 12 people, but it takes that one person who got that vibe. You know that vibe where you're just like, yeah, never mind, right? You just know, like, I can't be real because that one person, I can't tell you where I'm at because that one person, your energy makes the difference. And so we want an atmosphere where people can share their needs and a, and a commitment and a devotion to one another. And so this Tuesday, I want to thank all those who are uh, signing up to be leaders, uh, a host, a discussion leader, uh, uh, a follow-up leader. <laughs> last, last semester, we went from having four city groups and only utilizing two leaders. The reason why we changed that structure is because we found that after a semester of city groups, many of our leaders were worn out and they, we would ask them, are you reading up another year? And they looked at us like, you know, like, 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 like they, we wanted to break their teeth or something like that. And it was just like, what's wrong? And the more we realized, we said, you know, New York is just different, y'all. We're using structures that we've seen in the past, but New York is different. We've got to minimize the roles so that you can actually have a bad week, Right? Like, you, you, you know, someone can actually be going through something and I can't fulfill this in the way I want. So I can't be the host and the dinner leader. And, all, you know, so we're trying that in every one of our groups. So we went from having four groups and two leaders to eight groups and 32 leaders, praise God. And guess what? That's just the beginning. I believe that the Spirit of God is moving through our groups to reach the city. I believe next semester we will expand our groups even more and we will have more people involved and more people. And you know why? Because you're not just going to invite your Christian friends. You're going to invite your friends. You're going to invite the person that feels strange when they come to church and they're going to feel okay in your group. And we're all going to create that atmosphere. Amen. That will be the culture of our group and you're going to carry that culture. Amen. That is a culture we will carry. As I close, what makes a successful group? How do you know it was a success? A night was successful when everyone was focused more on being present rather than trying to fix each other. When you're present with one another's needs and you realize Jesus is at the table. I wonder if you stand with me real quick. <laughs> it says in Exodus chapter 17, verses 12 through 13, when Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. And then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. And so Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. And so the imagery there was that 
as long as Moses' hands were up, the, the battle and the fight would wear on. I wonder if you had your parents, any of your parents, they'd teach you how to fight. Any of your parents teach you how to fight? You came home one day and your dad was like, that's enough, that's enough, we're gonna teach you, right? They teach you to give a stance. Let me see your fighting stance. Everybody show me your fighting stances. Come on, just show me your fighting stance. Come on, just, don't act like you don't got no fighting stance. Just give me, come on, just give me, just give me a little bit. Just, yeah, just a little bit. All right, all right. All these say, I know you saved. I know you saved. You're like, they're like, prayer, that's what it is. I'm sorry, pastor. Right, so when we learn, so we, we in, in the world, we know that fighting is about what I can do and what I'm gonna do to you. But then you get saved and you learn that fighting is about seeing God do something, right? So you learn how to lift your hands. Would you lift your hands with me, right? And you learn how to just raise your hands up. But here's one thing we're missing in our culture. We learn to fight our battles on our own, right? We lift our hands on our own. And I don't know how long you keep your hands up like this, but I wonder if you lock hands with somebody else right now. Lock hands. And lift them up to the Lord. Lift them up. 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 Come up here. <laughs> and I wonder if we could show the world. Now, you don't have to stand like this the whole time. But in the first stanza of this song, say to the world, this is how we fight our battles. Amen. We don't fight our battles like this. And we don't fight our battles on our own. We connect with other people and we fight our battles in community. This is how we fight our battles. Hey, yes, this is how we... we hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.